welcome to another enlightening episode of the Gap and Wrap Biosimilars podcast series, your ultimate destination for insightful discussions at the intersection of healthcare, innovation, and patient care. I am your host and Wrap President Amanda Mixon. We have a very useful episode for you today. We're diving deep into a topic that's not only relevant, but essential in caring for our patients. Today, we will be discussing the practical use of biosimilars in rheumatology APP practice. Joining me as our distinguished guest is none other than Derek Mueller. With his knowledge base, I'm confident we're ready to unravel the intricacies of biosimilars and their pragmatic application in advanced practice settings, leaving our listeners with tangible advice by the end of our talk. Derek, would you mind giving me an introduction? Thank you, Amanda. It's a pleasure to be part of this podcast series. I've been listening in and learning so much from our from our colleagues. Um, but uh, my name is Derek Mueller. I'm a rheumatology PA. I work in a private practice office in uh, Southeast Michigan. Um, I've been in the field of rheumatology for about four years, and I'm involved in the organization and RAP uh, as a part of uh, the meeting faculty for the past uh, couple of years. So excited to be joining in on this, uh, this topic here today. Oh, we're very excited to have you. And if our followers have been listening to our Rapcast, then you may already know Derek because we already did a, a podcast episode about you. So um, I'm really excited to have you back to talk about this. And, you know, as you know, biosimilars have revolutionized the way we approach treatment, offering a cost-effective alternative that maintains the high standards of patient care we all uphold. Throughout this episode, we'll be exploring the nuances of incorporating biosimilars into our daily practices as advanced practice providers in rheumatology, discussing a myriad of topics. Without further ado, let's jump right into our conversation with Derek as we uncover the immense potential and practical wisdom behind biosimilars in rheumatology APP practice. Welcome to the Gap and Wrap podcast. All right, Derek, I think a really good place for us to get going is with the ACR white paper on biosimilars in rheumatology. Can you give the listeners a breakdown on that influential paper? Yeah, certainly. So the American College of Rheumatology white paper on biosimilars is a review of the scientific evidence on the safety and efficacy of biosimilars, which uh, I'm sure everyone listening knows are biologic drugs that are highly similar to, but not uh, identical to the original biologic drug, which is known as the reference product. So the original ACR white paper on biosimilars was published in 2017, and then it was subsequently updated in 2020. The white paper concludes that biosimilars are safe and effective alternatives to uh, the reference product. It also went on to state that biosimilars can be used in place of reference products without the need to necessarily change the dose or frequency of administration. And a few other topics the white paper discusses as potential benefits of using biosimilars includes a uh, uh, that of uh, lowering the cost of medications, particularly biosimilars are um, typically cheaper than the reference product. Uh, and there's some caveats that we'll discuss here, but they can have the potential to save uh, patients and payers a significant amount of money. Another benefit of using biosimilars is hopefully to increase access to biologic therapies because biosimilars 
uh, offer an alternative to reference products. Again, for, for cost reasons, this may improve the access, especially for patients who may not be able to afford those uh, reference products at their, at their uh, high price point. And then it's thought that biosimilars may also lead to improved patient outcomes, um, as they're shown to have similar clinical outcomes to the reference pot product. So that means patients can get the same clinical benefit from a biosimilar as they would from the reference product in, in most cases. And again, here, lower cost, increased access, that's hopefully going to improve patient outcomes for um, multiple disease states. Absolutely. You know, that's a, a lot of positivity coming from the ACR surrounding biosimilars. Do you know, did they raise any concerns or questions? So they, they definitely did point out a few things pertaining to biosimilars being relatively newer. Um, so some theoretical um, concerns that they acknowledge were that of the um, possibility for immunogenicity. So it was highlighted that biosimilars are likely to cause an immune response compared to the, they, they had the potential to cause an immune response um, versus the reference product. And this could cause relatively um, mild side effects, such as injection site reactions, rash, itching, potentially febrile response that might be a little bit more concerning. Um, and another thought is the concern for the long-term safety data. There's limited long-term safety data on the various biosimilar products. So that means there's some uncertainty um, um, when they're used in long-term. Uh, although they are very similar to the reference product, again, they, they themselves have not necessarily been studied long-term. Um, so that is something that we still grapple with. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's something that we have to think about, you know, particularly as we are becoming even more and more uh, used and getting used to dealing with biosimilars. And obviously, they're not going anywhere. And, and so I appreciate understanding both the benefits, but also understanding, you know, the potential risks, you know, these are relatively new. Uh, and that theoretical immunogenicity risk is definitely there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, Amanda. So, so overall, my take from the ACR white paper is that it highlights that biosimilars are, are generally safe, recognized as effective alternatives to their reference product, and then that there are certain benefits of using biosimilars like lower cost and increased access to biologic therapy um, that in most cases seem to outweigh the potential risks, although we have to individualize that decision for every patient. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think just more information that comes out, the better. I think that that will help us understand more. And then just, I think, feel more confident as, you know, we continue to prescribe these medications. I really appreciate, you know, the really the wonderful breakdown of this ACR white paper on biosimilars. You know, I think it gives us a great base to talk about some of the more practical aspects of utilizing biosimilars in our practice. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm now starting to see, um, you know, biosimilars that I'm needing to change patients from the sub-Qs. I mean, I think we've been doing this for a while with the infusion products, so we're getting a little bit more comfortable with that. But now I'm, I'm starting to, to do that with the sub-Q medications, the anti-TNFs in particular. Uh, so I guess my first question for you is for AP in rheumatology, you know, what are the key considerations when transitioning patients from reference biologics to biosimilars for you? Mm -hmm. Well, I think first is making sure a patient is fully informed upon 
the nature of this. Um, uh, of course, uh, initially, patients may be kind of confused about what this means. You know, I, I think this has been brought up on previous episodes, just making sure a patient knows what exactly a biosimilar means, um, knowing that it's not the same as a generic, uh, and really explaining what it is and what are the rationale for why we switch medications. And although they are different brands manufactured by different companies, you know, it's, it's relatively very similar to the reference product, which patient is used to. Um, so really making sure they are fully understanding of the situation and, uh, discussing what are the, uh, potential things to look out for as far as like injection site reactions and differences between the, um, if it's a, if it's a, at a limited product, for example, I mean, there, there are definite differences between all these different injectors. So making sure they know how to use it safely and that sort of thing. Um, those, those are more logistical things, but it's all important. Um, if a patient's switching their, uh, their product. Absolutely. And I, I totally agree. I really think it's important, you know, that our patients just understand the why behind it. And, um, you know, I guess on that same note, have, is there any strategies that you have found effective when you're talking to patients and, you know, kind of helping them to feel more comfortable when they're transitioning to a biosimilar? Mm -hmm. So w one thing that, that I started doing before all this happened was, was having a discussion about what a biosimilar was for a lot of patients who were on a, an, adalimumab. So kind of already planting that seed and knowing that it may come later on, it's a little bit, uh, I think a little bit more comfortable for patients. So I know that's easier said than done Not everyone has the possibility to do that. But even if it is something on the radar, uh, describing what a biosimilar is to a patient who's on an infliximab or adalimumab, or there's going to be a couple other products coming down the line too, used to kinemab and tocilizumab, they're going to have biosimilars soon. So maybe just talking about this with patients as part of like a routine visit to get them prepared. Um, and I'm, I'm sure many of you may have talked to representatives from companies and now have various, you know, a whole closet full of these different um, dummy injectors and all that sort of thing. It's important to have your support staff know about all the products and know the different type of injectors so that either you yourself or someone you work with can instruct patients on how to properly use it. It's going to be different from their original injector. So definitely something that people need to know. It sounds like a little thing, but to a patient, it's a big deal. Absolutely. I mean, actually, I kind of wish I would have done that. I mean, because I really have not been prepping my patients, and, you know, knowing that this is going to happen. And, and just actually a couple of weeks ago, um, it was a, a, you know, prior auth for just a reauth for the for for a medication. And, you know, I was told, well, nope, you can't get them that medication anymore, you have to use the biosimilar. And then I thought to myself, you know, gosh, should I now have the patient come in to talk about this? You know, usually it would just be okay, we'll just reauth it. But it was a much bigger, you know, discussion at this point, because to your point, we don't think about that in terms of like the injector looking different, or even like potentially the patient services being different than perhaps what they're used to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and again, I think it's important then if you know, if listeners, if you're out there and, and you're, you know, you're able to talk to maybe some of the reps from the companies that are have the biosimilars, it's important to ask those questions. I know I am, uh, you know, how, what is the services? How is this going to look for the patient? How are you going to make this easy for the patient tra to transition? Because, you know, I do think that that can be helpful too if they have the patient services. And then I totally agree on making sure our staff, you know, knows how to train the patients and, you know, so that that they are really kind of the front lines of making sure that our patients know what to do, how to do it, 
what questions, who to ask, you know, because perhaps the person that they've been going to previously, they can't go to anymore. And so I totally agree with you. So I think that's all really, really valid. And I think those are some really good tips that we can start doing. So really talk to your patients now, really start to get them, you know, educated so that you maybe don't have to have them come back if you get stuck in the situation like I did. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, so what role does evidence-based practice play in the adoption of biosimilars in rheumatology? Like how do you stay up to date with the latest research and guidelines in this rapidly evolving field? Mm-hmm. Or do so, you? Yeah. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's tough because uh, I mean, all, you know, the, the various companies that make the biosimilar products, they have all their data published. I mean, it, it's readily accessible. Um, you know, I think it's important to know these biosimilar, you know, biosimilar drugs, what kind of disease states did they study initially? Cause we know that there is some extrapolation of data for some of the indications and a lot of, you know, many of these products had a, a small trial with plaque psoriasis or rheumatoid arthritis or kind of understanding like how, you know, these various products, how their trials were run, knowing, knowing which ones are interchangeable and which ones are not, um, you know, something that, uh, was discussed I'm sure in previous episodes, what is interchangeability? That is something where, um, you know, a product can be switched kind of a little bit more readily, perhaps not without your knowledge. It's currently one um, interchangeable right now, but there's probably going to be a couple more by next year. So kind of knowing the uh, w- which ones are which, which ones have the and indications for some of these are different. I mean, the biosimilars, they're going to carry more of the uh, reference product indications like hydradenitis. Um, intermediate posterior pan uveitis, some of the products do not. So you're going to have trouble getting potentially getting coverage for, you know, some indications um, beyond what you would normally uh, would be typical. Um, and, and I think just, you know, following, uh, following studies that come out later down the line that, that will, I'm sure come out as patients are switched product. This is something that there's going to be a close eye. There's going to, uh, there's going to be post-marketing um, safety data collected. And I think that hopefully that data will, uh, will make us feel more safe and more comfortable with using these drugs over time and having more comfort with switching from reference to biosimilar. But I think one of the areas where there's still uncertainty is if a patient switches from biosimilar to biosimilar in theory, you know, they're, they're very similar molecules, but it, but it's a question, right? I mean, I'm sure that's something that you've, you know, you've thought about. So. Absolutely. I mean, I, those are the big questions also that I have as well. And have you noticed, so I guess in asking another question, are there any differences in terms of monitoring efficacy or safety profiles between biosimilars and their reference products? Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing that initially came to mind is just saying that not all of them are going to have the same indications. So we have to really, you know, be understanding that, you know, for one, they might not have the same, like for one disease state as another one, but is, is there anything else that we really should know about in terms of the differences? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what we have as far as data is only as much as, you know, the small, you know, the, the small trials done in, in, the, in the biosimilar realm. So, yeah, I think that a lot of this may come down to your comfort with this and how you monitor patients whenever you're switching a drug. I mean, yes, switching from reference to biosimilar is going to be um, a very similar drug, but it, I, w- I would still bring a patient back a little bit sooner. I think if, if the, a switch were to happen just to make sure they were doing fine, they were getting the drug, no problem. They were having no issues with the, 
new um, new injector pen, looking for injection site reactions, that sort of thing. I, I think there still should be some kind of closer follow-up rather than here's your new biosimilar product. I'll see you in six months. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And that's exactly, I think what I'm, my plan is as well, just to see them a little bit as if I was starting them on a new drug. I mean, I, I, I understand that these are similar and yes, it's to treat the same condition and et cetera, but I, I totally agree. I think having them come back a little sooner just to make sure we're checking in, are there any issues, you know, et cetera, I think is a really good idea. Mm. Uh, what do you think about the future of biosimilars in rheumatology? I, I'm, I'm really hoping that the, that, that the hopes and the, um, the, all the pros that were highlighted in this white paper, access to biologic therapies for more patients, cost reduction, and I, I think that has yet to be fully realized, given that this is such a new, new phenomenon in the United States. So I, I think we, it, time will really tell if that's true. And that, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that we'll be able to write biosimilar products to patients and they'll get it a lot quicker and that they won't be you know, st stuck with cost burden. And I think that that's just going to take time to really see that. But I'm really hoping that that's where the, the future is. I totally agree. And, and I think that all of this at the end of the day, I think is a really positive for our patients, totally in terms of them getting on the medication sooner, not having the same cost burden. I, you know, and again, I agree. I think we just, time will tell. And, you know, again, hopefully all of this will come to fruition. So I have one last question for you. And we're really, we're asking this of every guest on the series. Um, and this is a question because I think it's an important one and we want different perspectives. So we've gotten this from both GI and rheumatology APPs, but what is the most frequent question that you get from patients about biosimilars and how do you answer it? So it'd probably be a, a tie between one biosimilars is the same thing as a generic drug. Um, actually, it's a couple of things. That's probably the most common. So that's something that we have to kind of flesh out. And most of the time, patients are pretty receptive to that and understanding um, the second question is this going to is this going to save me a lot of money? Um, and a lot of times it's hard to fully explain that to a patient that it might not directly, you know, save it, it, it's hard to, to say because the cost gets moved around. It's not necessarily on, um, you know, always that the patient's going to realize that benefit. It may be so more the insurance company and thus over time, you know, the medical system. So again, that's a little bit esoteric to explain to a patient, um, as far as that goes, hopefully it's not something that's going to be costing the patient any differently. Um, and then the third question would be, is this medication going to work just as well as my original product? That's probably the most important question. Um, and my answer is, is typically, well, expectations are that yes, it should, we'll be keeping an eye on your response, but you know, it, it, it should really be very quite, um, quite, quite similar to what you're receiving before. So, um, that's typically how I address those questions again, we're bringing back a patient for a closer follow-up. I don't know if there's, it's all kind of based on your clinical practice. There's not really, a, there's not a, a guideline for all of this. So it's really knowing your patients and um, telling what you expect for them to happen and then following up and making sure they're comfortable with that plan. Cause at the end of the day, the patient has to be comfortable. They're not, uh, they're not, they're, they're not going to follow through with what, what needs to be done. 
Absolutely. I think this is really coming down to really the art of medicine. And I think, you know, I always have that conversation with patients, like there is so much of the art that goes into rheumatology, because it's just not a black and white specialty. And, you know, there's so much gray. And so we're kind of already used to talking to our patients about kind of complicated conversations. And I, I, I think that we are really so well equipped to have these discussions with our patients. Uh, so with that, you know, that wraps up another engaging episode of the Gap and Wrap Biosimilar series. We hope you found our discussion on the benefits of biosimilars enlightening and thought-provoking. Biosimilars and their use and practice is rapidly evolving, and it's up to us to stay informed and make the best decisions for our patients. As we conclude this illuminating episode of the Gap and Wrap Biosimilars podcast series, we want to extend our sincere gratitude to our esteemed guest, Derek, for sharing his invaluable insights into the practical use of biosimilars in rheumatology APP practice. The depth of knowledge you've brought to the conversation really is inspiring. I appreciate that. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. Um, should do it again sometime. Definitely, I'll have you come back. <laughs> I don't know what we'll be discussing next time, but I will always have you come back and discuss it because I think you're just such an up and, com- up and coming rheumatology APP, and I can't wait to see where your career goes, as you already know. I've told you that before. Um, so with your help, I really think this episode has shed light on the transform- transformative potential of biosimilars and their role in enhancing patient care, also while maintaining the highest standards of medical practice. The world of healthcare is ever evolving and staying informed about innovative solutions like biosimilars is paramount. I'd like to say thank you to Pfizer and Amgen. Without their continued support of APP education, this podcast would not be possible. Please see our show notes for learning objectives from this episode and to fill out our evaluation so we can receive feedback. Make sure you join us next time as we discuss the practical use of biosimilars in gastroenterology APP practice. And also, please remember to follow GAPCAST and RAPCAST so you don't miss an episode. We really are doing exciting things. We're bringing on a lot of different types of guests, and so there's going to be a lot of new episodes coming. Until next time, take care.